Ryan's one goal in writing was to give you certainty in a world of doubt. You guys ready for this? Ready for a little Bible study? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 31 through 44, certainty in a world of doubt. Talking about the dark side this morning. So, uh, quite a fascinating topic. I got a ton of information to get to you, and uh, so we got uh, a lot of work to do here this morning. Uh, Take a look at your sermon notes here. Let me give you a quote from C.S. Lewis. I'll be quoting him throughout from his uh, book, Screwtape Letters. How many have ever read Screwtape Letters? Quite fascinating writing by him, and uh, we'll make reference to it throughout, but this is what he says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil's about demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And he goes on in this writing and says, the the devil or Satan is just as pleased either way. I thought thought about that. So so what does that that look like in our lives? And and this is kind of... uh, what I came up with, if there is no anguish, if there's no fight in you over your own sinfulness and the brokenness of this world and the lostness of people all around us under Satan's control, then, then he's pleased. He's pleased with that. And then, and then the other extreme would be if all you ever have is anguish, fight, turmoil, then you are not being strong in the Lord and the power of his might and our adversary is also pleased with that. So those would be the two extremes. So if you underestimate or overestimate Satan, he's got you. If you blame him for for nothing or blame him for everything, he's got you. So here's the two questions we're looking at here this morning. What is true about the dark side? How do we overcome the dark side? Those are the two big questions. Got a great text. We'll read it in a minute. I just want to say thank you for those of you that have been praying. I I felt your prayers this last week. I I felt like I was taking a little bit of a beating the first couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, because we'd kind of headed into this... uh, this topic of the demonic when we talked about temptation about two weeks ago. And then last weekend we talked about deconstructing religion and we know that uh, Satan thrives in religion more so than irreligion. And then this weekend uh, we're talking about the dark side. And so I've, I've certainly, because of your prayers, have experienced quite a, a freedom in Christ. And so you will see that here as we walk through this, this morning, this text. So we'll read the text. We'll unpack the notes in just a moment. Would you join with me once again? Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help. Father God, we know the thief, our adversary, is real. It comes to kill, still, and destroy. There is overwhelming evidence on this planet. But you sent your son, our Savior Jesus, to overturn his plan and give us fullness of life. Awaken us to the reality, the severity, the hostility of the war that rages all around us for, for our hearts and lives to not only take us to hell, but to inflict us with hell. We pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, break his power, works, and effects in this place and in our lives as we become strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said... Amen. So let me bring you up to speed a little bit. If you haven't been with us, Dr. Luke is um, 
wants to give us certainty in a world of doubt. He wants, to, wants us to know that who Jesus is and what he has done is not just a historical fact, but it can be a, a daily reality, the very living presence of Christ with us, even to this day, today. And that's what he wants us to experience. And, uh, and so we now have embarked upon Jesus' ministry, and we'll begin reading verse 31 of chapter 4. And when he, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, this is Jesus, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. I mean, they were stunned, they were captivated uh, by, by Jesus' teaching and as he's proclaiming the gospel. And notice what it says in verse 33, and in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. You're going to see that uh, multiple times throughout the Gospel of Luke, this idea of the spirit, the spiritual realm, this unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, just like, right, just like that, okay? Did you guys hear that loud voice? He cried out with a loud voice, and he said, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Stop there just for a minute. Um, It's fascinating to see that these demons have a real healthy Christology. Uh, They have a good theology concerning Christ, uh, better than many liberal uh, theologians in America today, okay? and many cult groups in America today. These demons know who Jesus is, and so you see this demon, demon crying out. And, but notice how Jesus responds. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word for with authority and power? He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Stop there just for a minute because I need to give you uh, a a quick story here from my own life. I had this very similar experience and and having had multiple experiences Similar to this, I know that demonic powers, demonic forces, demons are real, but I also know that Christ's power is more real, more powerful, just as we see in this story. Um, It was a number of years ago, I was called out to a house, and I went uh, with a couple of others to pray. When I got there, this guy was in phenomenal turmoil. There was a lot of conflict and turmoil going on in his life, and I began to pray, and as we began to pray for him, uh, we'll call him Harold. Harold began to, sp- uh, Harold didn't speak, but something out of him began to speak to us, and, and this demon began to speak in the third person and said, Harold doesn't want you guys here. That's what he said. He was like, whoa, what do we have here? <laughs> and began to really try to come after us and say, get out of here. Harold doesn't want you guys here. And so I just ignored whatever was speaking out of uh, this person and said, hey, I'm not talking to you. I want to talk to Harold. 
Harold, do you, do you hear me? Harold, what in the world's going on? Uh, and I, so we begin to dialogue, we begin to pray, we begin to take authority over this. And as we're kind of wrestling around a little bit in prayer, taking authority over this demonic activity that was being manifested in this guy's life, uh, as this guy was struggling, he fell to the ground and, and you could see the turmoil and the struggle in him. And so I went over and began to pray in the spirit over him and really begin to plead the blood of Jesus and really pronounce uh, the victory of Christ. Which, by the way, this whole time, uh, Harold could not look me in the eyes, which is fascinating. Anytime I've dealt with people that are uh, traumatized. The Bible uses the word here, uh, this guy is demon-possessed, but the Bible actually uses a term, it's called demonization. So it can be anywhere from being tempted all the way to possession. And so as I'm praying over this guy, uh, he suddenly begins to almost shake like he's seizing, lets out this cry, and almost instantaneously opens his eyes and looks me in the eyes and says, I'm free, I'm free, and sent a chill right up my back. I was like, whoa, what is that about? And he was, and he was free from that moment on and continues to live his life and uh, continues to experience the freedom that he found during that uh, crazy encounter that we had. So, so, so if you doubt this, I'm just telling you, it's, this is for real. The Bible uh, is historical, it's evidential, it's factual. It's giving us facts. I personally have had these kind of encounters as a pastor and, uh, and working with people. And, and this is somewhat of a really kind of unusual how this is manifest and how the demons manifest. Demons are very smart and very covert and they're like a snake in the bushes. They will only come out if you, if you poke at them. And I, I actually think that there are many times I've seen where demons have probably exited the place or exited a person's life just through prayer without much, without much fanfare, without much show. So just keep that in mind as we kind of work through this. And so let's continue reading verse uh, 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they, appear, and they appealed to him, that is Jesus, on her behalf and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now what's interesting is that many theologians would say and what I learned about this is that he's actually rebuking this fever like he did this demon. So, you, so many believe that there's some sort of demonic connection here to the fever. The sickness is being brought on by some sort of demon. And we'll talk about it later, not all sickness is brought on by demons, but, but this particular uh, sickness seems to be being brought on by a, by a demon. So he rebukes it, he's using that kind of same language rebuking the fever, and it left her, and immediately, notice what she does. So when someone's free, what do they want to do? When you're free in Christ, you want to serve others. That's what she does. She began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Does God still uh, heal people today? Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, we, I've seen it. I've seen it right here. My sister was in the service last night, sitting right back here, and uh, about 13 years ago, she had a cancer in her that was the size of a, like a football in her abdomen, and basically the doctor said, not much hope. 
Well, she's still alive today. The Lord healed her. And so, yes, God can heal. Sometimes he heals uh, in this life. But for sure we know that when we exit this life, we will be completely and totally healed. And we, so we, we leave it up to him to make that call. So we're going we're gonna to pray like crazy. If you are sick, we will pray like crazy for you. We will ask boldly, but we will surrender completely. Because we trust his loving, wise control of our lives. He knows what's in our best interest. He has our lives in his hands. And so that's what we do. We, we just trust him. He's our daddy. He loves us. And so... So, but, that, but there's unbelievable power in Jesus' name. I'm, I'm telling you that just because so you know that what we have in Jesus is pretty, pretty amazing, pretty spectacular. In fact, demons tremble. Demons tremble. And if you got Jesus, you walk into a place, guess what? Demons are trembling. And so this is what we see with Jesus. Notice look at verse 41. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. So, great Christology, but notice how Jesus responds, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, why would he not let them speak? Well, you're not supposed to get your theology from demons, okay? So, it's not a good, not a good source, but I, I couldn't help but think that these demons could be, what they're, when they're saying this, they might be saying it in a very sardonic mocking, cynical way. I was in a, a service a number of years ago, and I remember this happening. It was during the worship time. And by the way, you want to rid a room of, of demons and people of demons, you worship like what we just did. When you worship, if, if you're kind of a, a sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit, maybe even sensitive to any kind of demonic power, sometimes it, it agitates demons like crazy. I've even seen people that were struggling, maybe demonically struggling. They're, they're pretty agitated during worship as you're proclaiming the name of Jesus. And we were in a service, we were proclaiming the name of Jesus, and there was a gal that began to kind of sardonically praise God in this very mocking way. And I remember my mom walking over there to her and quieted her, began to pray with her. And I asked my mom later, hey, what was going on? She goes, there was demons going on there. That was a manifestation of demonic power. And it was kind of, and I almost get the idea a little bit that that's might what might be happening here. There's this kind of a sardonic, you know, they're proclaiming Jesus, but they're doing it in a very uh, mocking, cynical way. But notice what it says in verse 42, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. Do you think Jesus might have needed some R&R? Yeah. Silence and solitude, and so, so do we. If Jesus needed it, we do too. We need it too. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord to us. Okay, so here we go. So what is true about demons? Get ready to write. Uh, this is just so that we have a good, healthy theology of the spirit realm and a little bit of demonology here, Satanology. Uh, two kingdoms battling for our hearts. Here's the first thing. You need to know that there are two kingdoms battling for our hearts, God and Satan, light and darkness. And what's interesting is that the Bible makes it very clear that you are either on one team or the other. Did you hear me? You're either on one team or the other. And by default, 
we all start on the wrong team. We start on, on darkness, the side of, of Satan, and so it's only by a miracle of God that he could rescue us through Jesus, and our, our eyes are opened, and we see that we need him, and we repent and believe, and we'll talk about that. But, uh, but here's the thing that you need to keep in mind. Satan doesn't control us. I mentioned this two weeks ago, talking about temptation, but Satan doesn't control us with fang, fang marks on our skin, but lies in our heart. So beware of thinking that the devil is only involved if someone's head is spinning around and they are vomiting green stuff, okay? Uh, a lot of times people think it's not demonic unless that's happening. I was talking, that was from the Exorcist movie. I never saw that. My wife uh, saw it years ago when she was a young gal and she said she was traumatized by it. It's a crazy movie. There's been much worse movies than that out. And uh, it, all it did was stir up fear within her. She didn't really understand or know, know Christ at the time. But, uh, but beware of, of thinking that he comes, comes after us kind of in that supernatural realm or manifest like that. Like I said, uh, he's very smart. He's very covert. Uh, he doesn't have to really manifest much here in America because uh, we're already destroying ourselves. We, we, don't, we don't need much help. We're, we're chasing after everything and anything. And... Uh, I mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago also, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So you can share your heart with your friends about Jesus and they just can't see, they don't understand. They're blinded by the enemy. It comes off very subtle, but that's what's happening. If people can't see Jesus, it's because he's blinding them. It also says in 11.3, 2 Corinthians 11.3, um, Paul says that I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that somehow your, your minds may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So anytime your heart is being kind of led astray from Christ, that's the work of the enemy is what, what Paul is saying. Paul also said that how he does that is in verse 14, so 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So he, teams, he, he tries to come off like he's on God's team, and so that's how he begins to work to lead us astray. So it is no surprise, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 11, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Colossians 1.13 kind of shows us this, the comparison between light and darkness. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, talking to us as believers, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Of course, John 10.10, part of what I prayed here at the beginning of our service, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So it's really in that, that's our theme verse. The second part of that is our theme verse here at Desert Breeze, but you can see the two kingdoms warring. Now, now, you may be thinking, and there might be someone here that's thinking, we have a lot of unchurched people that come in here and people that don't know Christ that come in here and say, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy? He hasn't done that to me. Well, one of his works it would be to just to make you fat and happy so that you never come to terms with the fact that you are desperate for Jesus. He'd just fill you up with all sorts of, you know, uh, things and pleasures of this world to the point to where you never really come to terms with the fact that you are desperate for Christ. And really it comes down to this. There's only two categories of people. There are those that are desperate for Christ and know it and those that are desperate for Christ and don't know it. 
And it's our adversary that would keep us blinded to that and lead us astray from that. So the Bible's pretty clear about that. So two kingdoms battling for our hearts. Here's the next one. We're working on a good uh, understanding of the demonic and the spiritual realm. We have three enemies. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know these three enemies. I alliterate them with S words, society, Satan, sinful self, also known as the world, the devil, and the flesh. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. So society, I I don't think that uh, that surprises you, that society is one of our enemies. Would you guys... uh, when you look at our society, is our society God-ignoring? Oh, yeah. oh, no doubt about it. How about sin-enjoying? Yeah, we celebrate it in our culture. How about pride-exalting? Yeah, it's all over. That's our culture. That's what we're up against. And then we've got Satan. We'll talk more about him. Angel of light comes to kill, still, and destroy. And then, of course, the sinful self. What is that? We are sinners by nature and by choice. It is the natural inclination of our heart to find greater pleasure in creation over the creator. So we tend to look to, I I wrote this down in your notes, uh, 1 John 2, 15 through 17 talks about loving the things of the world. He lists three things, pleasures, positions, and the possessions. So we tend to make the pleasures, the positions, which would be promotions and power and possessions, more important to us than, than God. Next point on your notes, we are an integrated body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do we need to know spirit, soul, body? Because when you're, uh, for instance, uh, depression, depression can happen physiologically, it can be a primarily a body kind of thing, malfunction. You may need, if you're depressed, you may need medicine, better diet, exercise, sleep. That might remedy your depression. Or it could be a soul kind of thing that's going on in your life. When I'm talking soul, I'm I'm talking about mind, emotion, and will. So you may need to receive forgiveness. You may be depressed because you have not come to Christ to receive his forgiveness and you are haunted and harassed by guilt and shame. Or you may need to give forgiveness to others. You've been hurt and you're hanging on to that hurt and that bitterness. And that can be very oppressive and create depression within you. You may have taken some hits in your life and you have not grieved those appropriately. Part of grief is anger. And if you take anger and push it down inward, anger turned inward becomes depression. And so it could be primarily a soul thing. So it could be a a body issue. It could be a soul issue, mind, emotion, will. Or it could be demonic could be very demonic. could be a temptation, accusation. It could be lack of spiritual disciplines. When we started Desert Breeze over 26 years ago this Easter, 26 years ago we started Desert Breeze, I went into a six-month depression. 
And I can look back on it now and really kind of understand what it was about. But I wasn't a depressed person. I took care of myself. I was very athletic. I worked out. I ate good. I did all the things that you needed to do. So there was no reason, body, soul, why I would have depression. And I didn't realize it, that the enemy knew that this church, Desert Breeze, was going to do major damage to his kingdom as it has in the last 26 years. I mean, I've, I've had a front row seat. I've had a front row seat to watch God do some amazing things through Desert Breeze. And so he knew that if he could distract me, if he could detour me in some way through depression, that he could, in fact, I'll tell you what, there have been, there have been times that I felt like throwing in the towel. I felt like giving up. It was during that time I just thought, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming. But, but I don't know how I found out. I think it was somebody had been praying for me or somebody said, oh, could it be this or that? And I had people begin to pray for me and that depression began to lift. But it took about six months as, as I battled through that. But it was, very, it was all, all spiritual. It was very demonic. It's crazy. And from time to time, I'll still experience that. I, I mentioned that a few weeks ago. And many of you have been praying. And I, I felt that whatever it was lift off of me. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. You get just bogged down in a mire that it's unexplainable. You don't understand. Can't put words to it. And so that can happen. So here's the deal. This is what you need to keep in mind. We're multidimensional image bearers of God. Beware of being reductionistic in dealing with your problems. What I mean by that is saying, well, it's all, it's all body, it's all soul, or it's all spirit. It can, be, it can be any one of these or a combination of all three. So you want to deal with it in all, on all those fronts. Uh, here's, the, here's the next thing. Uh, so let's deal with the spiritual part of that. Satan is not the opposite equal of God, but a fallen angel limited to one place at a time, but has a demonic presence working with him. Now, what I mean by that, he's not the opposite and equal of God. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. Satan isn't. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Satan isn't all-knowing. He's been around for quite a number of years, and so he's pretty smart, but he's not all-knowing. He's not omniscient, and he's not omnipotent. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Satan is not all-powerful. He's limited in his power, and uh, let me walk you through this a little bit of... Uh, theology about Satan, um, Satanology. Luke 10, 17 through 20, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus is talking about Satan's fall. If you want to read more about this, you can go to Isaiah 14, 12 through 17, and Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. That'll give you more information on that. We won't take out time to read those but you can see those on your notes. Revelations 12.4 tells us that uh, Satan led one-third of the angels in heaven in rebellion against God. So what does that tell you about Satan? He's pretty influential. If he led a third of the host of angels in rebellion against God? And um, Matthew 25.41 tells us eternal fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, there's an illustration that I've used probably a few times this last year, and it's found in Daniel 13, 14. It gives you kind of a chance to kind of peer into the spiritual realm to see what's going on. There's much more going on than what we're reading here, but uh, Daniel's prayer, it's Daniel chapter 10, verses 13 through 14. Daniel's prayer is heard in heaven, and an angel is dispatched with a special message for Daniel. By the way, when you study scripture, angels are not to be a preoccupation. I don't know if you were around 
about a couple decades ago when there was almost this preoccupation with angels. Every once in a while, people get all preoccupied with angels. Don't preoccupy on angels. You don't focus on angels, nor the demonic realm. You, you focus on Jesus. But you need to know that the Bible does say that angels, there's different categories of angels. There's uh, messenger angels, there's ministry angels, and then there's military angels. So it's kind of fascinating in this story. So Daniel's prayer is heard in heaven, and an angel is dispatched with a special message for Daniel. The angel encounters opposing forces and is delayed for 21 days until Michael, the archangel, is finally dispatched to fight the prince of the kingdom of Persia so that the first angel can deliver his message to Daniel. And you can read about that in Daniel chapter 10. It's, it's a fascinating story. So what it's saying is that there's some sort of demonic uh, influences and powers over regions, over cities and states, and, if you, and uh, that's very demonic and has heavy influence in, in those areas. My wife and I felt it very much so when we went into... Uh, uh, Portland, Oregon, when we, had, we actually planted a, a church in Portland, and when we went there to visit that church, I told my wife, I go, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on? This is a beautiful city, and yet there's something very oppressive here. Now, if you live in Portland and you're around that area, you probably wouldn't appreciate me saying that about Portland, Oregon, but the fact is, is that there was something very demonic, and there was more... Uh, I don't know how they call them, strip joints, uh, sex uh, trafficking, uh, places in that area more so than in any other place throughout the nation. That's just one of the many things that you see happening in, in these areas and in these regions. I think it's very demonic. I think there's demonic uh, presence in, in these areas influencing what's going on there, and that's it's all part of it. Let's take a look at the next point in your notes. Behind the scenes, aggravating the flesh and blood evil, society and sinful nature is something that is not flesh and blood. It's Satan. So in verses 31 through 33 in our text, Jesus is, is teaching in the synagogue the people are being impacted, and guess who shows up to interfere? In fact, this guy was part of, uh, the, part of that church service. And I mentioned it two weeks ago, every time you make spiritual progress, expect a counterattack. I keep thinking, I look out here at Dale and Teresa who go into a lot of uh, areas that I know that uh, the enemy has had a heyday in those areas, and you guys walk in there with the power and the presence of Jesus uh, really plundering plundering the enemy, and I know that you, you guys have to go in there, and, and, and a lot of these third world countries and, and places where the, the occultic activities are just unbelievable, I mean, uh, there, there's that sense of, man, there's something more so than what we see. There's something spiritual here, and, and um, I think it's important to keep that in mind. Every time you make spiritual progress, expect a counterattack. Ephesians 6.12, this is based on Ephesians 6.12, listen to what he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So what he's saying is, he's not saying that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, because uh, from time to time, my wife really ticks me off, okay? <laughs> and I think there's some kind of something going on there beyond just my wife, okay? <laughs> but, but we do, we, we do wrestle flesh and blood, but he's not saying that we don't, he's just saying that there's much more 
than what meets the eye. There's much more below the surface. So we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's almost, and many theologians would say that he's establishing kind of a a structure of demonic forces that they have a command post and then below them they have these other officers and things like that. He's almost creating kind of a structure of demonic powers in heavenly places. Now, as I talk about this this morning, and if you're new here, you're going, why in the world are they talking about this on a Sunday morning? I came here to be encouraged, and they're talking about the demonic. What's fascinating how a lot of our churches have gotten away from actually teaching the Bible. This is in the Bible, and so we're going to talk about what's in the Bible. That's what I love about expository teaching is that you kind of deal with whatever you come across. And if it's in the Bible, Jesus wanted us to talk about it. God wants us to talk about it, and so that's why we talk about it. It's really important that you talk about it. But, um, and... Partly why we need to talk about it is that our modern Western world believes everything has a natural cause and a scientific explanation. We blame it on the chromosomes or conditioning or circumstances, and and all of which certainly influence our lives. But if you think all that was behind the Holocaust was Hitler, if you think that all that was behind slavery was economics or even racism, if you think that all that is behind mass shootings is poor parenting, or if you think that all that is behind your addiction is your bad chromosomes, you are naive. Let me read to you, uh, I found this really interesting, from Andrew Del Banco from Columbia University some years ago wrote a book called The Death of Satan. Even though he says in the book, I'm a secular liberal, he's not a Christian. And he wrote a book, The Death of Satan. And this is what he wrote. He says, we've jettisoned, we've thrown out in the West the idea of cosmic evil or transcendent evil or supernatural evil. We don't believe in that. In fact, we don't even like to use the word evil. And the reason we don't like it is because it implies value judgments and moral absolutes. So we use medical terms. We talk about dysfunction. We talk about pathology. We don't use moral terminology. And in his book, Del Banco turns to a very famous uh, interaction in the book, also a movie, The Silence of the Lambs. And it's the place where the young policewoman, um, Officer Starling, goes to meet for the first time the monstrous serial killer Hannibal Lecter. And she goes to the cell, and she's looking at him and hearing what he has done, and, and she hears what he has done, and she says... What happened to him to make him so twisted? What happened to him that he could be so cruel and he overhears her, which is a big mistake? Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins in the movie, responds, Nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism, Officer Starling. You have everyone in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me. Can you stand to say I'm evil? That's heavy. 
Del Banco, who's quoting this, says this, modern people, the modern West cannot answer the monstrous question, and he's right. He basically says, as a paraphrase, what we have said over the last 100 to 150 years that all evil has natural causes, scientific causes, psychological, social causes, is wearing thin. We have no answers. And until you realize this, you'll not understand evil's depth, pervasiveness, and intractability, its stubbornness. Until you realize that behind the scenes, aggravating the flesh and blood evil, society and sinful nature is something that is diabolical, something that is wicked and evil. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. If you're not a believer, he's already got you. If you're a believer, you've got a target on you. He's coming after you. The Bible's really clear about that. So how do we overcome the dark side? Here it is. You're gonna have to come back next week and we'll talk about it. <laughs> Good luck. No, I'm gonna tell you, we've, we've, got, we've got time. Let's knock this out. Here we go. Here's what I've taught you guys. And, and your preoccupation should not be on the demonic. I've been in church services before where there, there was too much preoccupation on the demonic and too much attention brought to the demonic. Here's what I've taught you. Don't curse the darkness. When you walk in, the, in a room and it's dark, you don't curse the darkness. What do you do? Turn on the light. You turn on the light. Because why? Light dispels darkness. There it is. That would be enough. Light dispels darkness. Man, when you feel overwhelmed by darkness, turn on the light. Look to Jesus. Read his word. Talk to him. I'm telling you what's amazing about this story. This is what I love about this story. And you're going to see it throughout as we study through the gospel of Luke. Demons freak out. I'm, I'm so glad I'm on his team. I got Jesus in me. So I don't have to worry about those dudes, those critters, those demons. I mean, I don't. And so here's the first thing. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you're not a believer, repent and believe in the gospel. Come to Christ, which means really that the creator is going to become more beautiful, more desirable, more satisfying than anything in creation. That's what it means. But it also means seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're going to want to seek God and his kingdom. Yeah, Matthew 5.33, God becomes your deepest pleasure, greatest pursuit, and highest purpose in life. You must be intentional about how you are living your life. There's no coasting in the Christian life. You can't coast. You can't coast. You've got to be intentional. Listen to this. Let me read from Screwtape Letters. Now, by the way, Screwtape Letters written by C.S. Lewis, and, and he's actually giving us kind of a glimpse into the demonic, and it's a, it's a senior demon, a ruling demon, mentoring and discipling a younger demon. So that's the language. The language comes off a little bit awkward, but that's what it is. And so here it is. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Your affectionate uncle screw tape. So what is he saying? If you're going to be passive about your Christian walk, he's already got you and he's coming after you. You can't be passive. 
You've got to be intentional. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make Christ the passion of your life. Here's the next one. Don't give the devil a foothold. Now, we need to, we need to kind of look at this. And you need to know that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't be demon-possessed. Possession has to do with ownership because you belong to Christ. But you can be anywhere between being tempted and being tormented or oppressed. Theologian Clinton Arnold, who's written a lot about this topic, says this, a servant of Christ can no more avoid demons than the gardener can avoid weeds. If you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to encounter demons. That's really what he's saying. And so, if, if you're if you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to encounter demons. And as a believer in Christ, the only power Satan has over you is the power you give him. Now, sin is not the breaking of some arbitrary rules, but it is giving the devil a foothold. It is picking teams. It's choosing sides. Here's the ordinary and... Uh, Ordinary demonic, uh, Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 is where I got that idea of the foothold. You guys familiar with that text where it says, be angry but don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a what? A foothold. And a foothold, if you've ever done any mountain climbing, um, anything like that, what are you looking for? Just a small place where you can put your foot or grab a hold of. It's just, that's what he's saying. It's just a small place. Nothing big. Doesn't seem to be too significant, no big deal, just compromise, give him a little foothold here, and, uh, and it says, don't give the devil a foothold, and he's talking about that in the context of unforgiveness and bitterness. I believe this is where he wrecks most havoc in our lives is, is unforgiveness and bitterness because of secondary to hurt. First John 5, 18 through 21 Habitual, unrepentant sin and idolatry. So if you're not dealing with the sin in your life, that becomes a foothold. Second Corinthians 11.3, hypocrisy and complacency. Second Corinthians 10.3-5, lies, gossip, false teaching. First Timothy 3.6, pride. That's what got him kicked out of heaven is pride, Satan. The fastest way to be like Satan is to try to be God. Which, by the way, that's our society. That's our culture. That's the, that's the basis of, of sin is that I want to be God. I don't trust God. I think he's holding out on me. I know more than him. And, uh, and so, and that's in our expressive individualism, follow your heart, be true to yourself, call your own shots, do what pleases you, culture that we live in. That's, that's our culture. It's all about pride. And then 1 Peter 5, 8, fear. But we know as believers that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind, self-control. 2 Timothy 1.6. We also know that perfect love chases away fear, 1 John 4.18. 1 Corinthians 7.5, sexual sin. Ephesians 5.18 through 21, folly and drunkenness. I had a buddy uh, that in my teenage years, he was uh, demon-possessed. The church I was attending, they cast out some demons in him. I began to ask him, I was like, what in the world, dude? <laughs> Where'd this all come from? And he, would, he did a lot of drugs, smoked a lot of pot, actually listened to a lot of dark music and would literally, he said that he would invite whatever demonic powers that were out there, almost very uh, occultic in, in how he lived his life. Boy, they did. They got a hold of his life big time. It was, it was, it was fascinating uh, in that. And, and so take, that takes us into the extraordinary demonic Acts 5, 16, demons can torment you. Acts 8, 4 through 8, 
They can create physical injury. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10, they can even have false miracles. They operate in the supernatural. You can have people that actually can perform miracles, and you might be impressed, but beware. Revelations 12, 10 comes in the form of accusation, guilt, and shame. I mean, I've talked with people before that, that they had self-talk that was so terribly destructive, things that were coming at them regularly, things like, you're a failure, you're a loser, you can't be forgiven, God can never love you, you'll never change. It was almost like they were inundated with that. Folks, that's very demonic. That is very demonic. And uh, it's amazing when you begin to pray that stuff off of people and help them to see their identity in Christ and how that can bring freedom to their lives. John 8, murder and suicide. I was praying with a guy. I was with a few others, and we were praying with this guy. And typically when I pray, I like to, if I'm spending some time in ministry time, I like to check in with the person and say, hey, so hey, what's going on? What's God speaking to you? What's happening? As I'm praying with you. And, uh, and the guy said to me, uh, he said, ah, you don't want to know what's going on. I go, no, 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 I do. I want to know what's going on. He goes, no, 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 you don't want to know what's going on. No, 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 we need to know what's going on. And uh, finally, as I kind of wrestled with him a little bit, uh, he finally said, okay, I'll tell you what's going on. I want to kill you. And I go, well, that's very nice. <laughs> and I go, you know where that comes from. And that's what he said. He had homicidal thoughts towards me that while I'm praying for him, he had this overwhelming sense that he wanted to, to kill me. Isn't that interesting? So that's why I pray with my eyes open. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously, I never shut my eyes when I pray. Besides the fact I pray a lot of times while I'm driving, so that's not good anyway. But, but that's, that's seriously. When I'm praying and I'm ministering to people, I want to look into their eyes. I want to look into their face. I want to see what God's doing. And there's been many times when I've been praying, I go, what in the world's going on here? We've got an issue here. I need to address that. And so that's a lot of times I'll do that. My wife was praying with a gal that had been abused by her husband. And as my wife was kind of probing and kind of talking with her, uh, she found out that she wanted to kill her husband. She had already plotted this out. She was getting ready to do that. And my wife began to probe that. She realized that this was very demonically inspired. And it was at our home. This gal got up and ran out of the house and ran down the street. Left her keys there. My wife had to call the elders of the church. Uh, they came and kind of helped her to process that. But this gal, her name was Rose. She was nothing like a rose because she was so de demonically oppressed. But I'm, I'm telling you, when she was set free, she became more and more like her name, a rose. She began to blossom phenomenally because of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And it was really amazing to watch that. And she did that through not only as we prayed over her and prayed with her, but she was a part of a small group where she was being nurtured and loved on and, and people that just really understood the power of God and the, and the grace of God. And so it's quite, a, quite amazing. So the enemy can bring that murder, suicide. 1 John 4, 1 through 6, it says that we should test the spirits. There's false teachers teaching, religions, Islam, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, they, they, they preach a different Jesus, uh, fortune tellers, palm readers, anything, anyone who says they talk to the dead, um, anyone who says that they're spiritual. We live in a day and time where people even say, well, I'm spiritual. What spirit? And by the way, the test is actually a pretty easy test here. When it says test the spirits, the big E on the I chart is, is what? It's Jesus. 
If the Spirit doesn't want, doesn't produce in you a love for Jesus, a desire to follow Jesus, you want to serve Jesus, then it's the wrong, wrong team, wrong spirit. So it's a pretty easy test. So the Spirit of God, I'll tell you what, uh, John 14 through 16, the Spirit of God will stir up in you the glory of Christ, and you're going to want him more than anything. You're going to want to live for him and serve him and follow him. I mean, after all he's done for you, he came to rescue you. He set you free from the dominion of darkness and has brought you into the kingdom of his beloved son. So it's quite amazing. And so you're going to want to love him and, and serve him, and that's how you test the spirits. So here's that. So, so don't give the devil a foothold. So repent and believe the gospel. Don't give the devil a foothold. Remember who Jesus is and what he came to do. Verses 33 through 36 and verse 41, unlike many, uh, as I stated, many liberal theologians and cults, these demons know who Jesus is, the Holy One of God, verse 34, verse 41, the Son of God, these demons tremble. Luke 4, 18 through 21, Jesus said that he came to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. Now, let me read to you again. Screw tape letters. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks, uh, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, every trace of God seems to have vanished, and ask why he has been forsaken and, and still obeys. Do you hear what he's saying here? Here's what he's saying. I mean, it's, it's a bit peculiar as you read through this, and, but he's just saying, our cause is never more in danger when a person says, hell or high water, I'm following Jesus. That's what he's saying. Our cause is never more in danger when someone doesn't, isn't led by their feelings and regardless of what goes down in their life, they have made a determination. They have decided they're gonna follow Jesus regardless of what goes down. That's it. I mean, so that's, that's the point. C.S. Lewis says in another place, and I love this. This has been very helpful for me. He says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. So regardless of your changing moods, you're just, I'm, I'm for Jesus. And believe me, that sends the demons running. They can't handle that level of determination and that commitment to Christ. And so that's, that's that. So just remember what Jesus has done. I always come back to the fact, hey, he died for me. He died for me. He gave his life for me. I might not feel like it. Things are going really bad for me in my life. It doesn't matter. He gave his life for me, and I'm going to live my life for him regardless of what goes down. See, that's real solid commitment. That's solid commitment. And, uh, and it's got to be based on good, healthy theology, too. That's why I'm giving it to you here. You've got to have a good, solid foundation of, of theology uh, to, to base that on. And so that's that. Let's go to the next one. Remember, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. I've got a ton of verses there. Let me give you one. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than what? He who is in the world. Yeah. You got Jesus inside of you. You got the, the Holy Spirit, the power. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against me. Well, what? Yeah. No way. No way. God's sovereign. 
Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 talks about putting on the full armor of God. I wish I could walk through that with you. But basically, it all represents who Jesus is. You can read it on your own. You can study it. If you want to go back to some studies we did on spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare parts one and two, when we went through uh, a study through Ephesians, you, if you've got our, our DB app or you can go online, it works better on our app. You can go down and find it. But it was in our series Life. There's an app for that. We went through the book of Ephesians, and it was Spiritual Warfare, Parts 1 and 2, August 26, September the 2nd, 2012. It's on the app. You can find it. It's life. There's an app for that. Went through the, the book of Ephesians. Basically, every piece of armor specifically deals with some area of my life, which is the goal of satanic strategy. And, and every piece of armor represents who Christ is and what he's done for me. Here's the next one. Keep yourself spiritually strong through spiritual disciplines and boundaries. I'll be talking more about this next week. But did you notice what Jesus did in verses 42 through 44? It was almost as if the people were trying to force him to stay with them. Did you notice that? It says, and they would have kept him from leaving them, verse 42. So he departed, went into a desolate place, and the people sought him out and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. So Jesus has good boundaries, but also he's got good spiritual disciplines. And so that's really, really important. We are called to be worshipers first, workers second. Your work is only as effective as your worship is. You need to spend time with the Lord. You need to have that time alone with him. Spiritual disciplines are those things that increase our capacity to experience and enjoy the presence of God. Boundaries are really about learning what to say yes and no to. I shared with you a week ago, how do you halt the enemy? You guys remember this? How to halt the enemy, H-A-L-T. The word H, don't let yourself get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, too tired. That's how you halt the enemy. Here's my last from Screwtape Letters. Dear Wormwood, I note with great, grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. Here's what he's saying. Uncle Screwtape, has deep insight into the psychology of redemption, and if the convert's habits remain the same, they will realize little of the life of Christ. In other words, if you don't have boundaries and spiritual disciplines, you're not gonna grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. You're gonna find yourself going back into the wrong camp. That's exactly what he's talking about. And that's why we see this with what Jesus is doing. Here's my last one. We'll be done. Passionately and aggressively advance the kingdom of God by proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't sitting around waiting to see what the devil's next move is. And nor should we. We need to plunder the enemy's territory. I was thinking of this. I put this on your notes. Did you know that when Jesus came back to his disciples and asked them, who do people say I am? And they went through the whole list. And then finally he turned to his disciples and says, but who do you say I am? And it was Peter when he said some really profound things because Peter didn't always say profound things, okay? He from time to time would put his foot in his mouth. But this time he says something quite profound. And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus goes, wow, Peter, you didn't discover that on your own. God's working in your life. And in fact, Peter, you need to know this. 
that on this rock, on this profession of faith, those who profess me as the, as the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I start thinking, gates? Why would he say gates? Because he's disarmed the demonic forces. All they are are gates. And uh, they, gates don't fight, but, but gates mean that we can go in and plunder the heck out of the enemy. That's what he's called us to do is that when you begin to see something going on in people's lives all around you, which is happening all around us, go in and plunder, take back. How do you do that? By loving and praying and giving and serving and forgiving and blessing. Romans 12, 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love Proverbs 24, 11. It says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. God's called us to do that. We battle Satan not merely in our hearts but out in the world when we seek to undo his work by passionately and aggressively advancing the kingdom of God by proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. Next week, we're gonna talk about complete change, how he completely changes our life. What does that look like? How do we experience all that he has for us? Let's pray. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, God for your power, your presence, all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for your word that instructs us. And uh, God, I pray this morning for those that need to repent and believe and come to faith in you. I pray that they would do that before the end of this day. They would give their lives to you. I pray for those of us that, that we would be more vigilant in not giving the devil a foothold in our lives, that we would remember who Jesus is and what he came to do and remember that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. May we keep ourselves spiritually strong through spiritual disciplines and boundaries and may we passionately and aggressively advance the kingdom of our glorious Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys.